Colossians chapter 3 this week. Um, And last week we were looking at the end of Colossians chapter 2 and um, we saw the freedom that we had in Christ. Um, So if you'd like to turn to uh, Colossians chapter 3 with me, if you don't have the Bible, there should be um, a Bible up in the back table. Feel free to wander up there, grab that one, um, and we'd love you to keep that so you can keep studying the Word of God. So in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 17, a great passage we have here. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now, you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, Rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you've put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any one of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God. Let it dwell in our hearts. 
Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's James. If I haven't met you, I've got the joy of opening up God's Word this morning. So please have it in front of you. Open it up. We've got a really big passage, so we're not going to get through every little verse in detail, um, but hopefully we'll be able to get a, a good idea of what um, Paul is sharing with us this morning. So please join me as I pray, um, as we continue our series in the, um, the book of Colossians. Heavenly Father, we give you a great thanks that we have new life in Christ. The resurrection brings us hope. Christ brings change. And so, Father, we pray now that we will let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And for that to happen, Lord, let the message of the gospel dwell amongst us richly. And so, Father, we pray this because in all the things that we want to do, we want to do it in the name of your Son, giving thanks to you, our Father, because of him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where, where do you go to to find real, lasting power for transformation? What is the source that you go to in the pursuit of transformation. It's a bit of a buzzword in, in the Aussie culture, I think, even whether it's on the internet or on social media, even within our movies and theatres, there's this, this is sort of notion, especially with our TV series and documentaries, this notion of pursuing transformation. What's, where, where do you go to to find real power for lasting change? Or maybe you're here today and you're like, James, I, I don't even buy it. I don't want anything to do with it. I just want to wake up every day. I deal with what's in front of me. And honestly, I don't want anything to change in my life in any shape or form. Or maybe the opposite. You're like, actually, I want to transform my whole life and I want this to happen. And so you plug into a whole variety of sources, either whether it's within yourself, with your own stamina, your own power, your own thought patterns and just wanting to do it yourself or whether it's an energy drink or whatever it might be. What's that source in which you plug into for transformation? Because really our culture does have this, this push towards the, the, the nature of pursuing transformation, whether it's to do with your body image or weight, whether it's to do with beauty and what you wear, whether it's to do with your work or with goal setting in your career, or even whether it comes to mental health and your cognitive thinking to do apps and to slow down and to cut this and to cut that so that you, could have, so that you can clear the clutter of your mind. We go into shopping centres and what we see is, is here's the, the gym equipment you need. Here's the gym clothes you need to wear. Here's the beauty you need to, to the beauty products you need to, to put on. Here's the food, you know, this stuff that has no sugar, nothing else. You know, the, the, the protein bars in the, in, the, in the pursuit of that transformed body or image. And yet alone... As we think about that in the centre of Australia, maybe you think in a broader spectrum of the world and even culture and even spiritually, you think we need, if only the world would do this, we'd be a better place. If only we did this, we'd have a better climate. If only we lived our lives according to the Ten Commandments, then we'd have no war. We'd always have peace. If only society would just do these things... It would just change and bring peace and rule and, and wonder to our world. Now, in a, in a way, that's nothing new in the 21st century because in the first century, it was a similar thing, the pursuit of transformation. 
So here in the book of Colossians, Paul's writing to a church. They've heard the gospel. They've been saved. A church has been planted. And people are coming in and saying, yes, you've received Jesus, but in the pursuit of more, it's Jesus plus these things. They've come in and say, oh yeah, yes, you've received Jesus, but the source now, you need to, for you to pursue the better life, it's Jesus and religion. Last week we saw that. You know, they, they said, don't let anyone judge you because you, of the Sabbath. They also were coming in and saying, hey, it's Jesus and spiritual, super spiritual experiences. If you haven't had this, then maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not being transformed. Or, or maybe it's a Jesus and, you know, you've got to whip your body into line by going out in the desert for 40 days and, and eating no food and just separating yourself from society. That's the source in which, you know, it's Jesus and. It's nothing new for us. But maybe you're here and you, you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here and you're just checking us out, you're checking out Christianity, you, you, you're wanting to know, will, will Christianity solve my problems? Will religion, you've come with a religious mindset to go, well, I wonder if, if I can do these things, will it transform my life? Will it make me happier? Will it make me go and be a better me? And will it transform the world? But see, Christianity, it's actually not about religion. It's not about you doing these things. It's actually all about what Christ has done. And so where do you go to? Where are you going to to find real lasting power for transformation? See, today's passage is a contrast to last week's passage. These false teachers, it's Jesus and. And Paul's going to go, no, no, it's Jesus. You've received Jesus. Stay walking in Jesus. The freedom that we have in Jesus, stay in it. But remember, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And you might be here going, yes, but. And I'm going to tell you, drop the but. And today's going to answer that question for us all. Because there is a place where we can find real, lasting transformation. And where do we... So, so the first thing we're going to do is going to ask that question. We're going to have one point where we answer that question. And then we're going to look at what that source does in transforming us. So where do we get real and lasting power for transformation? Well, firstly, power to transform is actually found in Jesus. So these false teachers, they're saying, no, no, it's Jesus and these things, plus these things. Well, Paul's going to tell us, no, it's Jesus. You've received Jesus, keep walking. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Since then, you've been raised. Now, since then, it's a therefore. It's therefore, which means you've actually got to go back to the previous verse. Last week we saw, don't let anyone judge you, don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't think that if you do these external practices that's going to bring your heart into line and have a look there at the end of verse 23 these regulations they have appearance they have wisdom they appear wise they, they're imposed worship but what does he say they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences what he's saying is you can do all these things but it ain't going to change your heart it's not going to bring it into line it's not going to make you have a better heart Therefore, here's the answer. You've been raised with Christ. Now, what I want you to notice as I read this, and as you read, notice that four times Christ is mentioned, not Jesus, but Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, four times. 
You've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then Christ is mentioned another two times in the passage. Over and over again, he wants to go, you have your eyes fixed on Christ. Look who Christ is. What, what, what Paul's saying here is, and I've never seen this before, he's actually saying the universal reality of Jesus resurrected and on his throne eternally is where you are to look. Did you notice that we're saying? He said, seated at the right hand of God. Now, that's not just some nice language that he sat back waiting until he returns. No, seated at the right hand of God is king language. It's saying Jesus is the king and the Lord of lords. He's the king of this new kingdom, the kingdom which he's inaugurated. He's brought it in through his life, death, and resurrection. See, what Paul's saying, he's saying, hey, Look at that. Look, look at the resurrected Christ. He's on his throne. His kingdom has come in. He's been raised. He's seated, which means he's the king. He's brought in this whole new kingdom through his life, death, and resurrection, and it's come in now. And it's yet to come in as well. There's a sense in which one day it will come in fully. And so he's saying, hey, do you know that reality? Do you understand who Christ is and where he's seated on his throne? So in, 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 one, in chapter 1, verse 14, it says that if you're in Christ, you've been transferred from the dominion of what? Darkness, the kingdom. And you've been brought to the kingdom of his son. And who's his son? Verse 15, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, which means that the whole entire universe he owns it. It's his. He gets it. And through him and by him and for him, all things existed. And they're for him. And therefore, picture that reality. Don't move on from that. Set your minds on that. See, the power for our lives isn't found in us, but it's found in our union in the resurrected king. There is no other power. Where do we get the power for a transformed life? It comes from what you seek and what you set your minds on. So he says seek there. It says set your hearts or, or an SV might say it seeks. Set your hearts on things above. It's saying look to that reality of Jesus on his throne. He's resurrected. The kingdom is in. You're a part of it. And so set your pleasure. What do you delight in? saying, do you delight, set your pleasure and your mind on those things? To seek or to set is to seek the reign of this king. It's to seek his kingdom, his rule, and what he desires for it. It's to find your pleasure and your purpose in him. That's what it means to set and to seek, to set your hearts on him. Because what you seek is what you dream about. What you set your pleasure on is what will shape your time, your energy, and your resources towards. And so he's saying, set your heart, your emotions, and your affections, set them on Christ. Therefore, set your minds there as well. Set your cognitive thinking on this reality. 
It will reshape your process of thoughts and your thinking. Don't let the earthly elementary forces of this world shape how you think, but let the heavenly realities of the resurrected King Jesus shape your desires, direct your pleasures, and let it shape your mind. And don't let those who say Jesus plus nothing but shape your thinking. But here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, you know, that you're to become so heavenly minded that you become of no earthly good. Have you heard that expression before? You can become so saturated with all this heavenly stuff that you're of no earthly good. No, no, that's not what Paul's argument is. He says, become so saturated in this heavenly reality of who Jesus is that you are of a tremendous, incredible, lived out on planet earth. Do you see, like it's, you're so captured by that that it affects your everyday actions. And so why can we have this? But, but why can we have this power? Well, verse 4 tells us, verse 3 and 4, past, present and future. Because in the past you've died with Christ, you've died with him in the past, it's a past reality. Right now you're hidden in Jesus. That means that when God sees you, he sees Jesus, not you. You're hidden in his life now. And in the future, Jesus is going to return. And so in the meantime, until he returns, here's what you're going to do. See, Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom. But then one day he's going to consummate that kingdom in the book of Revelation. And there'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more death, where all the sad things will become untrue. There'll be no dementia, there'll be no cancer. And in light of that... As you fix your reality and set your pleasure on Christ, your actions will change. It will transform as the Spirit stirs your affections on, on Christ. You know, imagine, imagine a, a young man, he, he, he falls in love with a young girl. Um, he can't stand ballet, he can't stand the theatre, he can't stand books, and he can't stand French movies, something like that, right? But he meets, like, there's no chance he's ever going to do it. But he meets the perfect woman for him. What happens? All of a sudden, he's reading books. He's going to French movies. He's watching ballet. He's going to the theater. Like, he's there on time. He's dressed appropriately. Because, right, he's, he's finding pleasure in his girlfriend. And so it transforms that now, like, I'm into ballet. I'm into theater. I'm into French movies. And in a sense... That this is what Paul's saying, hey, it's our pleasure is to be found in Jesus. And so what will Christ transform? What does this kingdom inaugurated bring in? Well, here's going to be three things. And the first thing is it brings power to transform our sex lives. It's going to transform the way you view sex and sexuality. Now, you may have grown up in the last 50, 60 years, and you look today and you go, boy, the way sex is expressed today is so different to when we were kids. For you, you may go, it seems so far away from God's good design for sex. You go, well, it looks like they just basically view sex as something that you can express yourself anytime, anywhere to seek the pleasure of yourself. You might be wrestling with that reality. But can I just let you know that that's actually the real reality of Colossae? Actually, in fact, it's probably worse in the Roman Empire in the cities in which this was written. In the first century, you would see this in Rome, you know, that the, the sexual morality the, the sexual morality was taking place among the emperors with men and women. The, the sexuality and morality was happening in the, the temples with temple prostitution. It was just a visible expression 
of seeking pleasure in this world and trying to please the gods. But what happens here is, I think what Paul says is Jesus transforms our sex lives and how we view it. And he mentions it, I think, because he has such high importance of it. Because you might be here today, and maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe you're seeking, maybe you're trying to work out all this stuff, and you're like, far out, the Christians are talking about sex again. You know, like it's that, like, why do you have to speak into this all the time? And yet, as Christians, it's often the area that we're not most known for. But can I just, can I just, I, I think that's really helpful, this passage, because it tells you that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who's ruling this world, if he talks about it, it must mean he cares about it. He actually cares about you and about sex, about how you express yourself and your sexuality. It actually means he does care. And therefore, actually, it's, it's worth us sitting going, hang on, mate, let's, let's wrestle and see why, he, why it's so important. Now, this is not the best illustration. I don't think this is the best illustration to point it out. But, but think about it this way, that, that it's such importance to God, the goodness and the way that he's made sex, that it has boundaries that are good. You know, picture the, the, the crown jewels of King Charles. Like they're beautiful, they, they bring pleasure, they're, they're a beautiful thing to have. But, you know, to throw them around, you know, to give them to your three-year-old son just to throw around, it, it, it wouldn't be what they're designed for. They're actually locked, you know, they've got boundaries, they've got lights, they've got security. You can look at them, they can be used for a really good purpose. Because they're a good thing. But see, Paul, it's the same with sex. God's created sex and us as man and woman for a reason. And, and the King of Kings says, you know what, I care about this so much that, that I want you to express it and live it as I've intended it to be designed. And so in verse 5, it says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, notice that straight away. It's not sex here yet, but he's going, anything to your earthly nature, put it to death. And what does he ask you to put to death? Here's an example, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You put it to death, he says. Now, um, I have fond memories of growing up as a, little, as a child. We grew up out of town on some land, and, and I have these fond memories of my dad with a, with a fly swatter. Now, some of you actually probably don't know what a fly swatter is because you might not have, you know, but in the country you have flies. And so at home, you get home after Sunday church and dad would go, you've got to close the fly screen door. You can't let the flies in because we'd have a salad. It was either, it was either soup in winter or salads in summer. And so it's salad time. You've got the food out. You're in the country and you can't have the flies touching your food. So mum would set the food up. I'd sit on the lounge and dad would creep. He'd, he'd walk around the house near the windows and he'd go... Bam. He'd go, bam. He'd just go around everywhere going, bam, bam, bam. And he'd be putting to death all the flies. And what Paul's saying here is we are to do the same with the earthly nature. Put it to death. Take it that serious. Now, he says, put to death sexual morality. Now, that word sexual morality is the Greek word for porneia, which really is just basically sex outside of God's good design between a man and a woman in marriage. Put to death sexual adultery, committing adultery. Put to death sex outside of marriage. Put to death those kinds of things. But what drives that? Well, this verse is all linked together, right? So 
sexual immorality comes from impurity. So kill impurity, but then impurity comes from lust. So kill lust, but then lust comes from evil desires. So kill that, but evil desires ultimately come from greed. It comes from covetedness. See, greed is believing that you need that pleasure. You need that. You, you need that for your pleasure more than anything else in this world. And so it starts with greed. Adultery doesn't happen in a moment. It slips in over time. It's a process. It starts with greed and ends in sexual immorality. But why are we to put it to death? Because Jesus is ruling and reigning. He's inaugurated his kingdom. We are his people. We are no longer that, so therefore here we are that. We're to live as he intended. And in a sense, another thing is he's actually saying, Christ has risen, he's raised, he's at his throne room, and he's coming back one day. Sometimes we are more worried about charts, trying to work out dates of when Christ will return. And you know what Paul says? He says, just put to death the earthly nature. Put to death the earthly nature. We need to be in the business of it. But how do we kill? So how do we actually kill it? How do we put it to death? Well, see, our power to murder sin doesn't come from our resolve and it doesn't come from ticking a moral box through our own effort. It comes from, verse 1, our pleasure in Jesus. Set your hearts on Christ. To kill the pleasure of sexual morality, to kill the pleasure of any sin, is to kill it with the pleasure of Jesus Christ raised, resurrected on his throne and we are in his kingdom. See, not only does it transform our sex life, it transforms so many other areas as well. Like it's, that's where it comes from. It comes from our pleasure as we set our hearts on Christ, which is the Spirit's role. But it transforms other things, doesn't it? Because if you go back to greed, have a think about the reverse of it. See, adultery doesn't happen overnight. It starts with greed and moves forward. But say for you, you might be going, oh, I've never committed adultery. Well, you probably had greed. Or, or, or there's a sense of, for you, you need control. You need, to control. you need to be in control of everything and every situation. And so that greed of having that pleasure of being in control, guess what it starts to come into? It starts to become a desire, an evil desire. And that desire then starts to turn into lust, that you lust after and your passions burn within, that you really need control, which then leads to impurity. And then it leads to, all of a sudden, you lie, you cheat, and you cover up, all in the name of control. Maybe for you, it's a degree of, of status and position, of having people like you and need you, you need them at the center of your life and so that starts off as going I need status as to bring me pleasure that then turns into a desire that turns into lust that turns into impurity that turns eventually into you ensuring you wear certain clothes or it turns into you cheating on your tax return so you can have more money so people think you have more wealth it leads you to stabbing people in the back at work behind closed doors so that you can climb the ladder and become the CEO of a corporate company so you have wealth and status and Paul just says hey put, put it to death take it serious take that serious kill it get that fly swat out and kill it and you kill it with the, you kill it with the resurrected Christ because he's had the victory over all that he was tempted beyond what you've ever been tempted. And he's had victory over it. 
Now, here's, what, here's a danger though, isn't there? As you, as you go to kill, if you don't kill it with the pleasure of Christ, here's what will happen. You end up just moving from sexual immorality to something else. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, so say you're struggling say, with porn or you're struggling with, say, sexual immorality in that way. You'll put boundaries in place. You'll put, the, here's my ticks box for the next three weeks that I'm going to do so that I can not do this sin anymore. Now, that's a good thing to put boundaries in. But what will happen after three weeks, you'll tick the box and all of a sudden you've gone, I've made it. I've ticked the box. I've done this every day. And what's happened is you've moved from sexual immorality to self-righteousness. You've moved from one thing to the next. Whereas here Paul says, no, no, remember, just as you receive Christ, you stay walking in Christ's pleasure. Set your minds on things above. Seek Christ. Set our minds on the resurrected Christ. Um, there's a quote by Dallas Willard who says, I haven't got it on the screen, but he says, spiritual transformation is not about behavior modification. It's about changing the sources of behavior so the behavior will take care of itself. Who's our source? It's Christ. It's God. But see, not only does Jesus transform our sex lives, he's also going to transform how we speak. He's also going to transform how we speak. Now, our whole life, our whole way of life, our earthly nature is to be put to death. And I'm sure some of you are like, fuel, sexual morality, I've dodged that bullet. I haven't committed those kind of things. I'd never fail. I'd never fall into that kind of position. But what comes out of your mouth is just as bad. Gossip, slander, hurtful comments, rage. But we now have the power to walk in our new life through Christ that we'll be keen in verse 8 to put that away. We'll be keen to put it away in the wardrobe, to get rid of it, to get rid of our speech that's ungodly. Now, before I met Ali, which is about 15 years, it's actually nearly 15 years to the date I met Ali, um, before I got married, like I really did think I had a, um, an incredible sense of fashion. I thought I wore the right clothes. You know, like I thought I had the right color match and the right shoes and the right clothes that go with the different... You know, I thought I had it all batching for three years that, that what I wore was really good. You get married. We become one. We're now one couple and she transforms you. Right? She, she, she transforms the way I dress, the things I wear. In fact, she hated some of the things that I wore. That, that over time, you know, for me, it was just, it was this battle, right? Because I had these favorite shorts and favorite shirts that were ripped and dirty and comfortable. And she's like, uh-uh, you've got to get rid of it. And I just really struggled with that. And so I was talking to her the other day and I felt like, I thought, well, what, like, what happened was that she'd realized, I don't want you wearing that. And so she'd put it in another wardrobe in the house somewhere else. She'd put it away so that I would never see it again. And eventually, if I didn't see it long enough, she'd throw it out. She hated it that much. Put it away from me. Out of sight. And to this day, I've pondered where some of my favorite clothes have gone. <laughs> now, 15 years on, this Wednesday night, the old Jimmy slipped back in. I took a shirt out, I put some shorts on, and I've come out into the the thing, we've got a leader's huddle with some of the people who invested in church life here. And I'm like, I thought I had it. I said, hey, what do you think about I'm wearing? She says, uh-uh. Go back, change the shirt. It does not fit. So I put it back in the wardrobe. The reality of the resurrected Jesus, 
the reality of your union with Jesus, the reality that he's the king of kings who's ruling this world, is that I will take off my shirt and put it away. I'll put away what comes out of my mouth that's ungodly. We won't put it back in the wardrobe. We won't just put it back in the wardrobe. We'll put it so far away that it'll never come up again. Because see, the words of your mouth expresses the pleasure that's, that you find. The words that come out of your mind tell us, the words that come out of your mouth tells us what's going on in your mind. You know, you go to a Christmas party this year with your friends, your work colleagues. You'll know what they take pleasure in. You'll know what they set their mind on because of the words that come out. You know, I, I've noticed it, like even with, um, so I'm a tradie. But even like when you hang around tradies, there's certain words and things that just come flying out because that's the culture of being a tradie. But then I'll hang out with some people who, who've got, you know, they're lawyers, they're doctors, they're, 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 you know, investment bankers, and they've got a whole different type of language, which really tells you something about who they are. And our voice and our words tell us something about who we are. Let Jesus be the one who speaks to you the most. The person who will speak to you the most this week is you. The voice you'll listen to the most is you, and often you'll allow your voice to convince you that it's okay to have these words come out of your mouth, and that's always going to be a battle. But let Jesus talk to you the most. Let the, 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 the heart, let your heart pursue him. Set your mind on him and it will change. Put to death isn't exclusive to those sitting across from you in church today. Those who you think are less worthy than you. No, no, it's, it, it's put to death. All of us are to do this, right? It's, it's not just for those who you think across the seat are, are living a worse life than you. No, it says this is for those who are all in Christ. Did you notice the language there in verse 11? There's no Gentile, Jew, barbarian, Scythian, but Christ is all and in all. And so that means that Christ is at work in all of us, no matter your background. Isn't that incredible? He's at work in all of us, no matter who you are. There's no distinctions between those who receive Jesus. We're all united to him and therefore he's at work within all of us. My wife hated what I wore so much that she put it away so that I would never wear it again. Jesus hates sin. God hates sin so much that he sent his son to die for it. Do you notice that in verse 6? Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming on things like sexual immorality, the things of the earthly nature. God hates it so much that he will pour his wrath upon it. Why would you clothe yourself in things that will face the wrath of God? That's, that's his argument, right? Like, why, if, if the wrath has come against those things, why would you allow yourself to be clothed in those things? They are things of the world. The wrath's coming upon it. But here's the most beautiful thing of verse 6. The wrath isn't coming upon you. It's not coming upon those who are in Christ Jesus. We're, we're hidden in Christ. We're no longer going to face that wrath. That's the beautiful thing of the gospel. Our life is hidden in Christ, therefore, the wrath is not coming towards us. And so Paul says, hey, you notice that the wrath is going to be upon those things? So why, why put that back on? Why, why, why live in the things that the wrath of God's coming from, but yet you've been spared from because that wrath that should have gone on you was put on the Son instead of you? Now, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that freeing? It's gospel freeing for our lives. 
But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this verse is a big warning to you that the wrath is coming upon you one day when Christ returns. But here's the most beautiful thing though. The people who are here in this building who are Christians, the wrath isn't coming on them because of their good behavior. It's not coming on them because they're religious. The wrath of God isn't coming on them because they've done more than you or done less than you or they've prayed and done these things. No, 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 no. The wrath of God's not coming on those in Christ because they're hidden in Christ through his work on the cross. Through his life, death and resurrection, you can be covered from the wrath of God. And so today, if that's you, you can find refuge in Jesus not only can you find refuge in Jesus and salvation in Jesus but you'll also find that Jesus can change your life as well so why don't you turn to him and trust in the finished work of Christ at the cross today so not only does he transform our sex lives he transforms the way we speak but he also gives us power to clothe ourselves like Jesus see for us We need to saturate ourselves in the Word of God. We need to set our hearts on Christ. We need to set our minds on the things of the realities of the cosmos of Christ who's seated there. And one of the best ways for us to do that is to be people who just read God's Word. We we read God's Word in a way that doesn't lead to us having a tick box, but it leads us to finding pleasure and amazement and wonder at the grace that God has shown us through His Son and that God would even dwell within us through His Holy Spirit. And therefore, as we ponder that reality, as we ponder these beautiful things, we will clothe ourselves like Jesus. I wonder what jersey you're wearing. Have you picked up the imagery? Taking off, putting on, taking off your old clothes, putting on your new clothes, and yet you already have new life, right? You already have new life in Jesus, but make sure you put on that new life as well. Put on the reality of when Christ returns. Put these things on. Now, it's nearly been 12 months, 12 months ago, while I was overseas, we, we, we got a little puppy, her name's Lottie, um, and so Lottie's this little fluff ball, she's a groodle, so she's a little bit of a fancy dog, you know, like a bit fancy, a bit of hair, needs a bit of trim, make the smell nice, and so, she, you know, I, I remember one, one day we, we cleaned her, you know, you meant to bathe these kinds of dogs, and so I'm not used to that, and so we had to give her a wash and a clean, and at the end of this time, she was just beautiful, right, just, we didn't get the air, we didn't get the um, hair dryer out we didn't go that far but we, we she looked beautiful a little bow in her hair and, and she was beautiful and clean and it was just a beautiful you know like, it's just like gorgeous cute new cleansed washed all the dirt and the grit and the burrs gone so we put her outside <laughs> and it rained I didn't think too much about it I thought she'd just stay on the porch and here's a photo of her she knew right? Even the look on her face told you that she knew she wasn't allowed inside. She, was, she went and rolled in the mud and the dirt and the mire. Like how crazy is that, right? She was perfectly clean to go back to the dirt and to roll in it. And for us who have been cleansed, forgiven, redeemed, washed in the blood of the Lamb, for us to take off have our old clothes to be washed and our old clothes are put to the side how crazy it is for us to go back to dirty clothes and so how do you put away your old life how do you clothe yourself 
Well, again, the, the answer is verse 1. Pursue your delight in Jesus. Set your hearts on Christ. But also verse 12 is the answer as well. Therefore, notice that therefore, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. How do you do it? Well, here's the reality. Here's what he's saying. He's saying if you're a Christian here today, you are the most privileged individual. We are the most privileged group gathered today in the entire universe. Have you grasped that? We are the most privileged people on planet earth. We are God's chosen people. We are holy. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. He's saying, do you realize your privileged position? The world out there thinks we're crazy meeting on a Sunday, but we are meeting because we're the most privileged people in the entire universe, the entire cosmos. And so therefore, if, you have someone, if you're someone here today who's in Christ Jesus and you've stepped foot or you've walked into an abortion clinic, or if you're someone who's addicted to pornography, or if you've committed sexual morality or your marriage is in a mess, and if you are in Christ Jesus... You have the greatest status and the greatest privilege in the world. Why? Because of the resurrected King Jesus who's ruling on his throne. You're, you are beloved. Just as the Father loves Jesus, so he loves us in Christ. You're a child of God. We are children of God, the most privileged in this world. Therefore, Clothe, clothe yourself in Jesus. Did you notice that's really what verses 12 to 14 are doing? Right? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. That's Jesus 101. And then bear with one another. Don't hold grudges against each other. Forgive one another if you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave. And over all these virtues, let love bind it all together. We clothe ourselves in the way that we respond to each other in Jesus. We clothe ourselves in the character of Jesus. It's how Jesus lived. And so how do we live out this new life? How do we help each other with this new life? Well, I don't know whether you notice, but verses 12 to 17 shifts. It goes from a bit more individual to now a bit more corporate. See, in verses 15 to 17, and even back to verse 12, he's really, I think, talking about the corporate body of Christ. What we do on a Sunday. It's saying, you and me, we need each other for this task. If we are to put this away, if we are to have our eyes set on the eternal reality and universal reality of Jesus, we need each other. Because here in the church is where Christ rules. Let Christ's peace rule our hearts. And for that to happen, we need to let the message of Christ rule our preaching, our singing, everything we do needs to be about Christ. See, it's that idea, let that rule among us. So that we can point each other to him. You need church. You need to be here on a Sunday to let that happen. Don't distance yourself from the community of Jesus. Rather dive head on in into the mess that we are. People who have been made alive in Christ. There's people in the church who are tied up in addiction. Others whose marriages are in a mess. Others who are really struggling with life. That's the reality of who we are and yet as we do that together, we are pointing each other and saying, hey, Christ is risen. It's a reminder that we are to look to Christ in those things. We are a bunch of people who are working out what it means to follow Jesus. It's Jesus 
as you, just as you receive Jesus, let's keep walking in him. Not only is Jesus the source of salvation, he's the source of transformation. See, some of you right now are caught up in sin and you're distancing yourself from the church. You're distancing yourself from individuals because you don't want to have to face the greed, the lust. Can I encourage you to put it to death? See, this passage, it's saying, where, do you, where, do we, where, where is there real power for transformation? It's just as you receive Jesus, keep walking in him. Look to the reality of him ruling and reigning. He'll, he'll change how you view your sex life. He'll change how you speak. He'll want you, you'll want to clothe yourself in who Jesus is. So let's pray that we be a church like that. But at the same time, I, I think here today for us, there, there may be some of you amongst us who are really struggling with some stuff and you're keeping it covered under. Can I just encourage you at the end of the service, after Mark closes, come down the front and bring light to your darkness. Come forward and say, hey, you know, I, I'm really struggling with this addiction. My marriage is really in a mess. My speech is ungodly. I just don't know what to do. And come forward after we close the service, bring it to light and let us say, Christ is raised, he's resurrected, he's on his throne, he's giving you the spirit and he's going to make you more like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the resurrection and what it brings and the hope that we have for that. Father, don't let us take our eyes off that, we pray today, but keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Father, let us sit in the comfort of those beautiful words to know that we are forgiven, redeemed, dearly loved, so that will overflow in our actions, we pray. And we pray this for your sake. Amen.